PayPal and crypto. Apple's Tim Cook sat down with our Andrew Ross Sorkin this morning at DealBook, and Andrew asked him if he is looking at accepting Bitcoin on Apple Pay. Here's what he said. It's something that we're looking at. It's not something we have uh, immediate plans to do. Uh, for I would sort of characterize it as there are things that I wouldn't do, like um, uh, our, our cash balance. I wouldn't go invest that in crypto, uh, not because I wouldn't invest my own money in crypto, but because I don't think people buy an Apple stock to get exposure to crypto. And so if they want to do that, they can, they can uh, uh, you know, invest directly in crypto or through other means. Uh, and so I wouldn't do that. And I'm, I'm not planning to in the immediate future to take crypto for our products as a, as a mean of tender. Uh, but there are other things that we're definitely looking at. Like what? Uh, like I wouldn't want to have anything to announce today. <laughs> Well, let me ask you a different question, because you, you just said that you might not do it personally. Do, do you own crypto and any Bitcoin or Ethereum? Would you play around with this? I, I do. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to own it as a, as a part of a diversified portfolio. And I'm not giving anybody uh, investment advice, by the way. <laughs>
uh, feel free to put that in the live chat as well. And just a reminder, the live chat is accessible through the Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube streams, and they all get fed into uh, the main chat. So with all that said, I'd like to introduce Bitcoin Q&A. How's it going, Bitcoin Q&A? Hey, Matt. It's going good. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, it's been a while. I think um, episode number two, wasn't I, with uh, with Ergo? So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to getting back to it and uh, running through some some of the beginner-focused uh, stuff that seems to be missing from some of the podcasts uh, floating around. We t- tend to get jump into the weeds pretty quickly sometimes, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling we are going to also be jumping into the weeds, but we're going to try and do it in a nice, constructive path into the weeds. Yeah, I need you to keep me uh, keep me in check on that one. <laughs> But yeah, you are a dispatch OG. It has been it's been a minute, and uh, we've we've both been through a lot. I like to see like to think that we've been through it together, and uh, yeah, just uh, love that you're back joining us. And you know, I hope it's you know not just the second time; it'll be many more times in the future. Um, so, with all that said, freaks, uh, we have a bit of a structure that we set up for this episode, which is unusual for dispatch, but I think it'll keep us uh, more focused. Um, and so we're going to start with actually getting Bitcoin for the first time. Um, so do you want to, you want to start with that Bitcoin Q&A? Yeah. So, uh, it's buying Bitcoin's never been easier than it is today. There's, uh, exchanges popping up all over the place. Every, every man and his dog seems to be, uh, giving you the opportunity to, to be able to buy Bitcoin from within their, their ecosystem or their app. Um, the the kind of elephant in the room, unfortunately, and uh, is is the um, know your customer or KYC as it's uh, it's lovingly called within the space. Um, KYC is a regulation that essentially any sort of uh, business uh, entity that has a banking relationship has to abide by that kind of dictates um, that they must collect certain pieces of information from anybody that they give a service to. Obviously, in the context of Bitcoin, that's uh, an exchange that sells you Bitcoin for dollars, pounds, yen, whatever your jurisdiction is. Um, <clears throat> so in practice, that looks like if you like go on to Cash App and you try and sign up to Cash App to buy Bitcoin, they require you to upload your ID, your address. Uh, I'm not sure. I, some Some services require like a selfie. Um, that's what we're talking about right here, which is this identification information that's required when you sign up to one of these regulated services. Right, and some of these are, some of these exchanges now are even doing uh, videos where you, they take like a three D scan of your face, which is kind of scary, really. Um, Just a little so, bit. <laughs> so, with all that said, why why is that kind of um, why is that sort of a bad thing that that people like Matt and myself sort of try and um, warn people away from or, or at least paint the dangers uh, clearly for everybody everybody um so when you supply this information to to be able to buy bitcoin in a you know a really sort of easy and stress-free way you know cash app's a good example where you can just in a couple of clicks get some bitcoin into a wallet that you control but uh, one of the main problems is that you know all of this information gets uh, rounded up into a, a centralized database that's controlled by the entity that you're doing business with um, unfortunately, these entities, or some of these entities, I won't tell everybody with the same brush, um, don't have a great track record of uh, securing it um, effectively. Um, talk about perfect timing. We we heard about um, a hack with uh, Robinhood yesterday, was it? It was where seven million um, users. 
7 million users, um, information has been leaked. Um, now, there's varying degrees of the severity of the leak. Some of it's just email addresses. Uh, some of it's more personal information like banking details, etc. Um, you know, to name a few others, Equifax, Facebook, T-Mobile, Clubhouse, LinkedIn, uh, Coinbase, Ledger, um, all of those companies um, require uh, some form of information. Uh, of your personal information to, to do business with them. Um, and they've all had hacks where, again, with varying degrees of severity that um, somebody that shouldn't have got their hands on your information did so. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're not talking small fry here. Some of these uh, hacks were in to the tune of millions and millions of, of people. Um, now, you know, if that's something like Facebook and your uh, email address gets leaked, you know, it's not really the end of the world. It's, it might piss you off a little bit. When you tie that into um, something like Bitcoin, where hopefully, especially after you've listened to this podcast, um, you're sort of securing your own wealth. Uh, that might be uh, in your house. That might be in a loved one's house or a combination of those. If uh, if, if uh, the wrong person was to get hold of uh, this information, you know, your selfie, your home address, um, in, the in the case of Coinbase, how much Bitcoin you've actually bought, that is... Um, essentially painting a, a very large cross on your front door that um, might make it inviting to, to the wrong type of people to come and pay you a visit to uh, see if they can relieve you of, of those sats. So that's one of the main, um, you know, uh, reasons that, that that I personally try and sort of make people aware that, yes, going on to Cash App or Coinbase or whatever is, is you know, they make it really, really simple. They've got really nice polished UIs to, to be able to go and... Um, Get some, get your hands on some sats within a, within a couple of clicks. Um, it's you know one of the big big risks is that this information is leaked on a regular basis. Um, and there are companies in space that, to, to their credit, um, have you know they've nev never never um, uh, been fallen prey to one of these attacks. Um, but unfortunately, they do seem to be coming um, more and more uh, frequent. Um, so yeah. That's one of the main risks with KYC. So yeah, I mean, I would add a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, even if you know a company hasn't been compromised yet, we should basically operate under the assumption that they will be compromised in the future. Um, this information, once it is taken, is often sold uh, to other people as well. Um, it can be combined with other information that was leaked from other databases. So, for instance, um, if you know, you, you have the Facebook leak and the Facebook leak has your mailing address in it. And then you have the ledger leak and your ledger leak has your email address in it. But the Facebook leak also had your email address in it. They can combine those two uh, leaks to get your full email address and your actual in-person address. Uh, second of all, we've seen um, we've seen physical attacks happen to people who were known Bitcoiners and how much Bitcoin they had. Uh, sometimes it was because of these leaks. It's hard to tell for sure. Sometimes it's because people just talk about their Bitcoin and how much Bitcoin they own, which you also shouldn't do. Um, third of all, uh, this information can obviously be used against you by your own government. It can also be used against you by foreign governments in the future. Obviously, it is painting a target as you are someone who owns Bitcoin and uses Bitcoin and exactly how much Bitcoin you have. Uh, and then fourth of all, in the Coinbase leak specifically, um, all of your withdrawal history was also leaked. So 
uh, it can be used to track your future Bitcoin transactions uh, based on that information. And we will go further in on on Bitcoin privacy and trade-offs with Bitcoin when using Bitcoin, trying to use it privately, how to go about that in later on in this episode. But these are just things to keep in mind. Right. So, you know, all of which is is sort of incredibly scary. Um, and the other thing, final thing I'll add to that before we sort of look onto the alternatives is that, you know, um, something that I like to sort of keep in mind and remind people is, you know, being here for, for number go up is great. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that um, I don't like to, to see us hit all time highs all the time. Um, but Bitcoin is also um, created to be able to make the transactions that they don't want you to make. Now, if you're sort of uh, tying all of your Bitcoin to your personal identity, um, you're you're kind of uh, putting a, a chink in your armor before you've even started that, you know, if you do want to make those purchases that um, Bitcoin allows you to make um, due to its pseudonymity, then you're sort of starting two steps back by tying your, your Bitcoin holdings to your personal identity, um, which is where sort of buying from a no KYC source uh, comes in so that you can have um, some or hopefully, you know, in a perfect situation, all of the Bitcoin that you own. Uh, so before has- we get there, before we get there, just one more thing. KYC, these records are forever. Once once you do these records, you have to assume they're forever. Um, is it best practice to delete an account? Um, at, you know, if you're no longer using it, yes. But you should assume that actual database record hasn't been deleted. Um, and it might be used against you in the future. Um, so these are things to keep in mind. Um, now let's move to, okay, so if you're trying to avoid KYC, you don't want to use one of these regulated services, what are your options? Right, so the the sort of uh, two most common ones that kind of get banded around in terms of actually purchasing Bitcoin um, is BISC, uh, which is a... Uh, peer-to-peer uh, decentralized exchange where you essentially, uh, it's a make-or-take a model where somebody will want to um, sell some Bitcoin and they will go on to BISC and they'll say, you know, I'm, I want to sell uh, X amount of Bitcoin for this much, um, you know, $500, whatever. Um, and then you as a buyer can go on to that sort of uh, peer-to-peer marketplace um, and look for these offers to see one that sort of fits your bill that, you know, was, is within your price range and, you know, the amount that you want to buy. You can go on completely anonymous, anonymously um, and sort of take their, their sell offer uh, so that you can buy that amount of Bitcoin from them. Um, That's spelled B-I-S-Q, BISC. Yeah. So it's an application that you just download onto your computer. Basically, you run it all locally. Uh, You know, there's no personal information. You don't need to show any IDs to sign up. The only person, again, depending on the payment method that you use, you know, there's many, many payment methods. Um, Some are better from a privacy perspective uh, than others. Um, But let's say, you know, uh, most people are going to go on. um, And if they want to sort of be able to take a wider range of offers from, you know, more people across the world, they're going to want to use the banking system which you know might ring some alarm bells to some of the people listening but um what what also i say is what's worse is sharing your banking information with one person who is very likely to want very likely to be a privacy preserving individual because they you know they probably wouldn't be using bisc otherwise versus uh the regulated entities that throw all of your information into a centralized honeypot that we've just uh, explained um so that's one way you know some of the more private options that are available on bisc um are sort of uh, postal money orders, which are 
you know, I don't really know a great deal about um, because it's a US centric thing. Um, but you've also got cash in the mail. Um, and then there's various other, various other uh, options that are kind of uh, relevant to their sort of jurisdictions. Um, another option as well is HODL HODL, which works quite similarly to, to the way I've just described with BISC. Um, the, the difference being is that HODL HODL is kind of a, a centralized company um, that hosts uh, the sort of buy and sell uh, locations for you. You know, it, it, it's a, a website, hodlhodl.com. Um, where you can go and sort of make offers or you can take offers again in the same fashion. Um, so, so there may be some uh, other alarm bells ringing where thinking where, um, well, what happens if I go on to BISC or to HODL HODL um, and I, you know, take this buy offer and I send somebody some, some you know, US dollars? Um, what's to stop them from just never sending me the Bitcoin? So both of these services um, work on what's called an escrow system where, the seller will have to deposit the Bitcoin first into a, a multi-sig wallet that is controlled by um, by the buyer, the seller, uh, and the sort of centralized entity um, so that basically they, they uh, can't sort of run off uh, once they've you know got hold of your dollars because they have to deposit the Bitcoin first um, and you'll be notified to wait until you send any of the payments so that they've proved that they've sort of deposited uh, the bitcoin into that um there is still some system. risk there but it's a reduced risk yeah absolutely you know the, uh, it's kind of i would say it's more of a, a grief and attack than a you, you're not really at risk of losing funds you, it's more of a um going through the arbitration process to prove that you've sent the dollars so that you get the bitcoin back in the end so it's going to be more of a headache more than a risk to to actually lose any uh any cash would you say yeah, more or less. Um, so, so some of, yeah, continue. So some of the other options, um, if you uh, you can buy from uh, Bitcoin ATMs, there's a really great website called uh, coinatmradar.com uh, where you can go on and punch in your uh, physical location. I would recommend doing so uh, using a VPN. Um, and it will tell you all of the Bitcoin ATMs that um, are in your local area. Uh, the, the general premise of these is that you uh, walk up, you can deposit some cash, uh, give it a um, Bitcoin address, uh, hopefully from a wallet that you control, which we're going to come on to later. Uh, and the Bitcoin will be deposited directly into that wallet that you control. Uh, there are, again, as is always the case with Bitcoin, some caveats. Um, just because you're depositing cash doesn't, immediately make uh, Bitcoin ATM super private. Depending on the um, the brand of ATM machine that you use, some of them do still ask for ID, um, but that is uh, distinguished on that, the website I've just said, which is coinatmradar.com. Right, some ask for ID and then, and then some ask for just a phone number, some ask for both. Yeah, which and, and obviously the, the just the ones that just ask for the phone number are the better ones because you can spoof that with services like textverified.com where you can just get kind of a burner number uh, to satisfy the ATM's um, uh, you know phone number requirements, but obviously that's not tied to to your personal identity. Um, and then and before we on... continue, before we continue, since we're still like early in the episode, and I should have mentioned in the beginning, uh, Bitcoin Q and A has. Uh, my favorite guides in the space. So if you want to look up something specifically, or if you prefer reading, um, if you go to bitcoiner.guide, 
Uh, he has all of his guides listed there. So just keep that in mind. Okay, continue. Yeah, pretty much everything that we're talking about, I've got some uh, some form of information on it. Um, so yeah, moving on to other no-KYC opportunities. Um, so we've covered peer-to-peer uh, -peer, peer -peer exchanges. We've covered ATMs. Um, the the next sort of option is to uh, is to earn it, uh, which might sound a bit outlandish to some people that are new and entering the space. But all I will say is that um, everybody has some form of a unique skill, um, and there's always going to be somebody who needs um, what you can offer them. Uh, it's just about sort of uh, trying to build up a, a bit of a reputation, whether that's in your local area or online, um, so that you can um, you know sell your time or your skills and knowledge um and receive sats um in in uh, in repayment for them uh, and the other option again probably not as much of uh, a beginner option um as i would like it to be but the other option is to mine it um although uh, home mining does seem to be uh, going through somewhat of a renaissance which is really really great to see and um, so the the general premise of that is that you can uh, buy a bitcoin miner uh, you can plug that into your um, outlet at home, plug in an Ethernet port, connect up to to a mining pool, and stream yourself some uh, secret Sats or some private no KYC Sats uh, directly again into your wallet that you control. Um, the, the, there's been you know a, a fair bit of fud banded around that home mining is is kind of too difficult or it's too expensive. Um, the the thing I would say is that yeah it's very much dependent on your electricity prices um, but again you know this this shows fairly US centric and there's a lot a lot of places in the US where you know and if, if you're um, earning anywhere less than I think you know uh, Neil's in the chat they'll probably correct me on this but I think you're profitable mine at the moment anywhere but below thirty sats uh, thirty sats yeah 30 so I mean with with all of these techniques, you might be spending a little bit more money than you would be um, if you went through one of these regulated services. Um, you're, the way I justify it is, I mean, you're, you're paying a little bit of a premium for privacy um, and you're paying that for privacy going forward too. So it, it keeps paying dividends. Uh, with mining specifically, mining, home mining is a fantastic way, uh, in my opinion, of accumulating kyc free sats um it's really nice because once you have it plugged in it's just constantly going you don't even have to really think about it it's just constantly bringing in more sats um we already have two home mining um citadel dispatches so if you go back if you go to citadeldispatch.com or if you go through the podcast feed or if you go to bitcointv.com and our playlist over there you can find those episodes and we're about to have a third one too uh I think November 30th, there's going to be a third home mining episode. So if that's something that interests you, you should go check those out, uh, starting with the first one, uh, because we literally spent like three hours on all the different trade-offs there. Yeah, just to come back on on something that you said about, um, generally speaking, you're absolutely right that you're going to pay um, a little bit more for uh, no KOAC sats, you know, especially if you go to the peer-to-peer -peer exchanges. Um but I just I like to try and reframe it, and you know it's not a a no KYC premium. Um, the the uh, price that you see on a KYC exchange, I like to call it the um, the discount that you get given um, for giving up your personal information and and putting yourself uh, a little bit more at risk than versus uh, getting some sats that are not tied to your identity. So I think that's a, like that a useful framing. framing. Yeah. The real price is the private way, and then exactly you get a discount if you sacrifice your privacy. 
Um, and then one method that you didn't mention, which is probably the most uh, accessible to new coiners, is if you have a friend or a couple friends that are interested in Bitcoin and they've been in Bitcoin for a while, um, obviously, if you can if you can pay them cash for some of their Bitcoin, um, that is the most private. Uh, I, I wouldn't say the most private, but it's definitely the most accessible private way uh, for a new coiner. Um, and if they if they don't want to sell you any, they might know someone who wants to sell some. So um, that's always something to keep in mind. Cash in person is uh, extremely gives you very good privacy guarantees, period. Um, what else? Also, like if you know, to the to the Bitcoiners out there listening to this uh, show, um, you know, guide your new coiner friends in through that kind of method right and whether or not you want to actually explicitly sell it to them that's one thing but you know if you if you go out to dinner have them pay for dinner with their with their cash or their credit card and then pay them back in bitcoin or give them you know birthday gifts in bitcoin and like get them started in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion rather than just throwing them to the wolves and sending them to a regulated exchange yeah, there's uh, a couple of people in the chat that have just uh, rightfully shouted out um, as techo vouchers as well, um, which is essentially uh, you'll get sort of stores uh, that sort of sign up to become a, an Azteco um, sort of vendor and you can go in, hand over some cash um, and you'll get sort of a voucher where you can go and claim the, the equivalent amount of sats from that, again, directly into a wallet that you control. The, the, the other caveat, the, sorry, the only caveat with Azteco is that the the sort of uh, KYC responsibility, if any, is put onto the specific vendor. So it won't just be, you know, don't just presume that because there's an Azteco um, vendor near you that it won't be no KYC. Uh, each one is sort of uh, left to kind of come up with the, their own interpretation of whether they need to do it or not, basically. And you have that major chain in, U in the UK that's an Azteco vendor, right? What's the name of that? It was Poundland, but um, it stopped a couple of months ago, and it's showing no signs of coming back, unfortunately. Ah, uh, okay. So it was they realized what was going on, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we can't too much liability." Which, which was a shame because they they have a store in literally every town. There was hundreds of them, and it was massive for the UK. But yeah, unfortunately, it's no more. Okay, well, that's a shame. Um, if you want to read more about the dangers of KYC, you can go to Bitcoin Q and A's website, nokyconly.com. Um, however you decide to proceed with obtaining Bitcoin and accumulating Bitcoin, um, the next step is trying to secure it, uh, secure it well and secure it in a way that you don't have to trust a third party uh, who can seize your funds. Um, so how should, how should Bitcoiners, how should new coiners go about that Bitcoin Q&A? What are their options? Yeah, so the, the, the natural... Uh, first step for most people, unfortunately, like we've just said, is is um, a, a centralized exchange, again, like Coinbase, Cash App or someone, something like that, where you will go on deposit dollars or your local currency. They will uh, sort of uh, credit your account with, you know, the equivalent amount of sats. What you have there is um, an IOU uh, where you've got an account with them and where they say that you've got this much Bitcoin. Essentially, what you actually have in real terms is, uh, well, it's an IOU and you don't actually hold any Bitcoin. The, the sort of 
uh, very essence of Bitcoin is that, uh, that you know, there goes a saying, not your keys, not your coins, which is banded around a hell of a lot uh, and for good reason. Uh, and it essentially means that if you're not holding the keys for your Bitcoin, uh, you don't actually have any Bitcoin. So you've bought someone in exchange. Um, the, the next step would be to get yourself um, a, a mobile wallet where you can uh, generate the keys uh, within that wallet um, so that you're, you and only you are in control of uh, any of the Bitcoin that you send to that wallet. Um, so before we, before we move on, and I'm sorry that I keep cutting you off. I, I, hope, I hope it's uh, fine with you. Um, of course. Be before we move on, um, so so the risk is if you're holding it if if you're holding it in one of these custodial wallets, which is what the exchanges default to, um, and there's some other services that also are custodial wallets. Um, basically, the telltale sign of that is the way you access it is through a username and password. Um, you don't have any backup yourself. What happens there is there's a high likelihood that your account could get frozen. We've seen that with PayPal in the past with fiat, with just US dollars, where PayPal will freeze your account and you're not able to get your money. Um, it could be stolen if the exchange gets compromised or the custodial wallet gets compromised. Um, and obviously, you're trusting your privacy completely with the custodian because they know all of your transactions and your current balances. So it's not ideal. Um, and you want to learn how to hold Bitcoin yourself because one of the revolutionary things about Bitcoin is that you can hold it yourself in a way that um, someone has to physically compromise you uh, to to take your Bitcoin. Um, so I guess you're about to start with mobile wallets. I think mobile wallets are the most accessible way, getting a, a wallet on your phone, basically, um, to hold your Bitcoin for you, right? Yeah, just before I get down to the, the mobile wallet it, it comes back to the, the point i made earlier about censorship resistant or being able to make the payments that um you know you want to make not that they give you permission to to make um if you've got to uh, ask for permission from an exchange to be able to send bitcoin to your desired destination um you know you're you're asking for permission and you know that's not why we're here we want to be able to spend our money to whoever we want whenever we want so First step and the easiest step is to get a phone wallet. You know, it, they're free, they're easy to access. You know, you can um, download from any popular app store or quite a lot of them offer um, direct downloads so that you can uh, download from the, the you know, the chosen team's um, uh, website or, or GitHub. Um, the, a lot of people tend to rush in and try and buy, um, you know, the next best hardware wallet straight away when they've just bought sort of hundred dollars of bitcoin to dip their toes in a little bit well if you you know if you're just dipping your toes in to see if this thing's uh, working for you then it doesn't make any sense to you know go out and buy a hardware wallet and this is coming for somebody who works for a hardware wallet company um it doesn't make any sense to go out rush out and buy a, a couple hundred dollars on a hardware wallet when you own less than that in Bitcoin. So that's why and you already have a perfectly good phone that you carry around with you. It's very easy to spend and receive from. Um, but the important thing here is that you use a reputable mobile wallet. There's a lot of scammy mobile wallets. Don't just open up the app store and search for Bitcoin wallet. You will get a lot of bad options there. Yeah, the, the unfortunately, the, the top 10 um, results for, for that sort of search in most of the app stores are quite abysmal. Uh, my personal recommendations would be Samurai Wallet if you're an Android user. 
uh, or Blue Wallet, or if you're an iOS user, uh, Moon Wallet is, a, is also another one that I know you're uh, pretty bullish on that as well. Yeah, both Blue Wallet and Moon Wallet, that's with two U's, M-U-U-N, are available on both Android and iOS. Um, they're they're very easy to use for beginners. Uh, I, I would say they're not very intimidating. Um, so don't be intimidated. You should download one, just try it. So the, the, the kind of general premise of these, and unfortunately I mentioned Moon Wallet there, it's gonna, um, it's gonna book the trend of what I'm about to say, but the general premise is you'll download the app from your chosen location. Uh, the, the app, when you set up a new wallet, the app will show you a list of 12 or 24 words, which is your master secret, um, you know, which is the, the master backup to your, to your Bitcoin wallet. Anybody that gets their hands on that, um, be that physically or digitally, um, is going to be able to take all of your funds. Uh, so make sure that you write that down uh, and secure it somewhere um, safe. Um, and then yeah, your so, to... so Moon Wallet has a different backup method. Um, it'll prompt you and explain how to back up that. But we will focus on the standard, which is something we call seed words, which is they're basically these words. It's a phrase and the wallet generates it for you and you need to keep them secret. You absolutely need to keep them secret. So you don't want to put them on an internet connected device. You put them on an, you don't want to like save them in your iCloud notes folder. You don't want to take a screenshot and upload it to iCloud. What you want to do is at the bare minimum, you want to write it down on a piece of paper, double check that you wrote it down correctly, store it somewhere securely because if someone gets access to it, they have access to your funds. But as long as you have those words, your phone, you could drop your phone in the toilet. It could fall, you know, it could fall and crack and break or just completely just, you know, some phones just like stop working sometimes. As long as you have those seed words, you can reinstall the app on a new device and just put in those words, put in that phrase words, and you will have access to your funds. Yeah. And the beauty of that is, like you said, most of the, you know, 99% of the wallets, um, in the space all, all sort of work to that same standard so you know you, you wouldn't necessarily have to even uh download the exact same mobile wallet as long as the mobile wallet that you choose um it abides by the rules which again most of them do then you can sort of uh put that seed phrase into into any other wallet and um, there's a quick question in the chat which i think is probably good to touch on before we move on to hardware wallets and uh, somebody asked how much would you need to own to get a hardware wallet now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to answer that for the for everybody that that's uh, watching. You know, it's quite an individual question. Um, all I would say is, you know, if it's your the only mobile wallet you've got and it's on your daily phone, I would use the equivalent of how much cash would you physical cash would you carry around with you? Um, you know, and what's your limit at which it's going to start um, affecting your life if you was to lose that balance? Um, the quick right, the mobile wallet the mobile wallet should be like almost considered is is like your spending wallet what you would have right. in 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 your back pocket but uh going further when we go into more methods of storing your bitcoin that would be more like a savings account um except i you were about to say a caveat uh, i mean i have my own caveat i would say i think especially if you're using a reputable one I think people can be feel a little bit more comfortable than the kind of amount of cash that they would carry in their pocket. Um, I know like I wouldn't feel more comfortable. I wouldn't feel that comfortable carrying more than like $400 in my pocket. 
Um, but like a mobile wallet, especially if it's your first wallet, you're just getting started, you're getting comfortable, you have your seed words backed up, uh, your phone's up to date. You know, we don't see hacks are theoretically possible. Obviously, phones get compromised all the time. Um, but I I would probably, if I had to pick a number, I'd like be in like the five thousand to ten thousand dollar range. Like that's where you start having to really consider securing it more. Um and you should also operate under the assumption because Bitcoin tends to go up fast. Um, you should be prepared ahead of time because it could be, you know, it could be a thousand dollars in there, and then in six months it could be worth eight thousand dollars. Yeah. The the other thing I would say as well is that there's almost everybody has got a, a spare phone lying around at their, at their house that you know you could use that as your sort of dedicated Bitcoin phone um, where you could. Be uh, slightly more comfortable storing, you know, maybe larger amounts relative to the individual, um, and then you could kind of uh, decant off into your sort of daily phone what you might want to spend uh, on a day-to-day basis. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that approach as well. If you didn't want to um, shell out quickly for for um, for a hardware wallet, which we can we can come on to now. Um, so a hardware wallet is. Well, before uh, we get to hardware wallets, you also have. <laughs> There's also software wallets on on the computer that you can have, right? So you have mobile wallets, you have software wallets on your computer, which is like you install an app on your computer. Um, I I mean, I would say, like, unless you're an advanced user and you have like a dedicated computer and this episode isn't for advanced users, they should probably shy away from that in the beginning. I, I think the mobile security model is a stronger security model as you know, as long as you're not worried about like the NSA or something um, or like the Chinese intelligence services or the Israeli yeah, intelligence services. Um, most, most of the population uh, are not great at securing their, their computer. Uh, most people's computers are unless you're sort of um, a bit of a hacker man. There's this, you know, a far more vulnerable device than your mobile phone is, um, which is why, like you said, you know, I completely agree that I don't recommend them, uh, especially for larger amounts. Um, and I tend to sort of skip straight to the hardware wallet after the mobile wallet stage. Um, so hardware wallets um, are essentially a dedicated uh, physical device um, designed to manage the the keys that control your Bitcoin. Um, so with them being a, a physical uh, dedicated device, you know, their one purpose is to secure your Bitcoin, whereas your phone has, you know, it's, a, it's essentially a computer in your pocket um, with all of that extra functionality that, that your phone has compared to a hardware wallet increases the theoretical um, attack vectors where hackers or the NSA, whoever can um, sort of try and attempt to get their hands on your Bitcoin. So these devices are very focused um, uh, they're fo- focused at securing your Bitcoin from uh, physical attack um, and also uh, from um, digital attack, i.e. Uh, you know, somebody stealing your keys um, over the internet if you were to connect one of these devices to your uh, very likely highly insecure computer. Um, so they, a lot of them, most of the, the good ones um, work, uh, you know, their, their primary um way of of sort of keeping things secure is that they operate with uh, what's known as an air gap where they they can operate without being connected physically to to any other device and because um, it's that physical um connection that sometimes can introduce uh uh, um, extra 
threat factors. So the the um, idea, just to distill it here, like the idea of a hardware wallet is that you have a a device that's built to securely hold your Bitcoin. Well, technically, it's holding the keys to your Bitcoin, um, but for all intents and purposes, it's it's you can think of it as holding your Bitcoin, and and it interacts with either your computer or your phone in a way that those keys, all the keys are what protect your Bitcoin, gives you access to Bitcoin, and you don't want someone else to have access to those keys. It keeps those keys off that computer or off that phone, so it stays on the device. And that device is never connected to the internet. So the the basic concept behind securing your stash with a hardware wallet is that uh, for someone to compromise you, they need to physically have access to you and the device. Or if they can compromise the device, just the device. But they like have to come into your home or come into your office and get that device rather than hacking you through the internet. Right, and and you know the even um, if a, a a sort of generic attacker was to uh, gain physical access to to most of these devices, um, they're still going to need um, a fair bit of time and a hell of a lot of equipment to be able to um, you know crack the um, protections on the device to be able to access the keys um, and to be able to steal your Bitcoin. So it's not just a case of um, protecting you from a malware infested computer. Um, if somebody was to break in, there's, there's still pin protection on a device. And so it's not just a case of you lose the device um, and you lose access to your Bitcoin. Again, the, the premise that Matt spoke about before about writing down your seed words um, is exactly the same with a hardware wallet. Uh, the difference is here is that um, the the when you sort of uh, generate those, seed, those 24 or 12 words, um, it's done in an offline environment that's uh, never been connected to the internet so that um, again it just removes that extra uh, threat vector where um, you're not connected to any sort of uh, internet connected devices so it's just that extra layer uh, or wrapper of security perfect um should we what is your favorite hardware wallet <laughs> i saw that one coming a mile off um, so full disclosure, um, I work for a, a, um, a hardware wallet manufacturer called Foundation Devices. Um, and obvious biases aside, I genuinely believe that we make the um, the best option for a, a beginner entering the space. Um, it's incredibly secure, but also very easy to operate. Uh, so I should have named the device, it's called Passport. Um, and another great device is the Cold Card, um, which is probably looks a little bit scarier to, to the newcomer, I would say, um, but has some extra features um, that might be more beneficial for uh, more advanced users that they could sort of leverage. So those would be my two favorites. Yeah, I would say my favorite is uh, Cold Card. Um, I've used multiple versions of Cold Cards. I highly recommend them. Um, and then if... We're not really going to go into shit coins here, but if you absolutely need to gamble on um, other coins in the space rather than just Bitcoin, uh, both Foundation and Cold Card are Bitcoin only. Um, I mean, so I I would say either use a Ledger or a Trezor uh, hardware wallet if if you want shit coin support. Um, but even in that situation, you probably should 
go with a Bitcoin only hardware wallet for your Bitcoin and then use the other ones for your shit coins. And just like the mobile wallets, there are lots of really bad hardware wallets out there. So don't just Google best hardware wallet because a lot of influencers are paid uh, to promote them. So you'll see YouTube videos with 500,000 views saying to use a horrible hardware wallet. So consider that. Yeah, what I would say just to back that up again is that, you know, likelihood is if you're listening to this, that you're at least aware um, of, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter and the, the people that are um, around and popular on there. Um, most of those people have been around for a, a good number of years and they've probably tried all of these devices. So look to what most most of their most of those people are using or at least recommending um, when you're sort of doing your own research to see which device is going to be best for you. Perfect. Um, when they're using their hardware wallet, they need to use it with a with software. They need to use it with an app. So, what are your recommendations for which apps they should use with their hardware wallet? Uh, the best two for me, um, if you want to stay on desktop, which generally gives you sort of a little bit more extra functionality, would be number one, be Spiral Wallet, um, hands down my favorite. Um, or if you like a little bit of a sort of uh, easier to, to operate interface with kind of less um, advanced features, Spectre Desktop is also a great one. Two great uh, recommendations. Might... Spectre used to be my favorite. Now Sparrow is my favorite. Yeah, um, which might uh, be a good segue for what we've got coming up next. Um, well, before we get there, you can also <laughs> use... You can also use both the cold card and the foundation passport with blue wallet on mobile. So if you are going through the steps and you got comfortable with blue wallet already, um, because you started with a mobile wallet, uh, you can then use blue wallet with both of those hardware wallets, which is nice. Especially, I mean, I, I think some people listening to this probably don't have a computer that's, so a lot of people don't have computers. They just have the computer in their pocket. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're heading towards a mobile first world, aren't we, if, not, if we're not already there? Um, and Blue Wallet does um, offer a great interface, uh, especially uh, with, with, the, with the Passport, with the QR interfaces. Uh, very, very slick and very easy to, to wrap your head around as a beginner. Awesome. Okay, so you want to go to the next topic? You said there's Yeah, let's, let's hit nodes. Yeah, so I, I talked about um, Spectre Desktop. Um, and one of the great features about Spectre Desktop is it actually has a built-in Bitcoin node. So uh, the, the next step along your journey, uh, hopefully, will be to look to run your own Bitcoin node. Um, a Bitcoin node is, you can look at it as your um, sort of interface into, your, into the Bitcoin world. Um, it's going to be that next step along the sovereignty journey so that you can um, again, one of the, the buzz phrases that you hear in the space is verify your own transactions. Um, so when you receive uh, any Bitcoin transaction, um, that will be uh, being passed to you via uh, a whole network of nodes. Um, and the wallet that you choose to use will be connected to a node. Now, that node could be um, a centralized node or operated by an exchange. Uh, it could be uh, a node that you don't know who exists that might actually be a chain surveillance company, or hopefully it could be your own node that you can run um, in your house relatively cheaply. Now, the benefits of, of running your own node, like I said, is you can verify your own transactions so that you can be sure uh, when somebody's sending you a transaction um, that 
the transaction abides by uh, the this sort of rule set um, that the the network that you've chosen to join um, that we all agree on. Uh, to put that a little bit simple, a little bit simpler is that you can uh, be sure that sort of nobody's trying to cheat you and send you some fake Bitcoin or a transaction that's not valid. Um, so that you know you might be selling goods or services, and they might be paying you in Bitcoin for that. Um, and, and if you weren't verifying your own transactions, they might be able to um, send you. Um, the way I like uh, to frame it is, it's using your own node to to interact with the Bitcoin network. You have to use a node, and if you don't use your own node, um, you don't have counterfeit detection. Is is like kind of how I like to view it. Someone can kind of trick you uh, into a into thinking you have Bitcoin when you don't have Bitcoin. So you want to use your own node for that purpose. And then second of all, which I think is almost more tangible to people, because to be honest, uh, we haven't seen, that's more of a theoretical attack and we haven't really seen it play out. Uh, it could still play out in the future. You should assume it, it will. So you want to use your own node for counterfeit detection. But second of all, it also, if you don't use your own node, um, you're trusting your privacy with whoever's node you're using. So you want to use your own node so that you don't have to trust a potential, potentially a stranger or a company um, with that that private transaction information and balance information. Yeah, it's about removing trust essentially. Um, and, and by running your own node, you're 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 putting the trust in the hardware and/or the the software that you are choosing to run, uh, not the one that's kind of being given to you if you're operating with an exchange or, or a centralized node runner. Um, so there's um, a, a, a massive awash of choice um, with varying degrees of um, technical ability. Um, the the easiest way to get running with your own node is to download a piece of software called Bitcoin Core. Uh, this is kind of the the sort of uh, de facto software built by the the Bitcoin Core developers. Uh, that is essentially a piece of software that you can, in a couple of clicks, download onto your laptop or desktop. Um, and it will start to uh, download the, your own copy of the blockchain so that you can um, transact with the built-in wallet um, to, just to get started and verify your own transaction that way. That's absolutely the easiest way. And as I touched on earlier, uh, Spectre Desktop actually has um, essentially that built-in as well, just packaged in a slightly different way for you. Um, so they're, they're absolutely free. Um, and within a couple of clicks, you'll be on the way to downloading your own copy of the blockchain and having your own node set up. The problem with a setup like that is that um, you can't really, um, generally speaking, connect any mobile wallets to it. So if you were to want to transact when you're out and about and you run Bitcoin Core on your laptop um, and you wanted to send a transaction, the likelihood is you're not going to have your laptop with you. So, you you, you know, you won't be able to, to spend as easily as some of the, the node options that we're going to come, come on to. Uh, in a second, I'll just pause to see if Matt's got anything to add there. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you're using Bitcoin Core or if you're using the built-in Bitcoin Core Inspector, uh, yeah, correct. You you can't. The main negative is you can't use it with a mobile wallet. The also the other negative is um, your transaction and balance info will be on your computer. So if it's uh, a computer you use for work or a computer you use. Uh, to play games or look at porn or something like that, your social media habit, um, it might be easily compromised and that becomes a, it becomes, mostly it becomes a privacy issue. Um, 
because all your transaction history will be there and all of your balance history will be there. Um, but also you can't use it with mobile wallets, which is a key component as well. Yeah, so so the next best option, um, and unfortunately the most expensive option, is what's known as a plug-and-play node. Uh, so this is where uh, you'll buy um, essentially a small box from uh, one of the various teams. Uh, to name a few, we've got uh, Ronin Dojo, uh, we've got Raspberry Blitz, we've got Start9, uh, Umbrel. There's loads of different companies. or, or My you know, node, uh, no. My node, yeah, there's loads popping up. Um, all with different feature sets, uh, but essentially they sell you a box uh, that you plug in at home, you plug it into your router, you plug it into the power outlet, uh, and then within a couple of clicks, you're off uh, and running again to, to get your own copy of the blockchain and have your note, your own node up and running. And um, before we move on, uh, Citadel, Dispatch, uh, Citadel Dispatch 26, um, I had all the major node teams on for a conversation on their node projects. So if you're interested in having one of these purpose-built boxes or you, a lot of the, those projects that were just named allow you to actually buy the hardware separately and then install their software on it, um, consider listening to that Sill Dispatch. Right. So, and the, the, the kind of final option is the, the DIY approach, like Matt's just touched on, where all of the projects that we just said um, will have a, a parts list. You can go away and buy, um, spend a couple hundred dollars buying a hard drive and a single board computer and a couple of other cables um, and build your own node and put your own software, well, put the software that these teams provide um, onto that hardware. Uh, the, the end result is that you get. Um, the same node with all the same features. Um, obviously, the caveat is that you've got to go through the process of buying the hardware yourself, flashing the software um, onto a micro SD card, uh, which might cause you some, um, you know, if you're a less technical user, you're less comfortable with taking that approach. Um, that's why but the it, teams offer the, the plug and play node. It does sound more intimidating than it actually is. And I would absolutely. So, like, I encourage new users to get their feet wet. Um, also, just on the just to go back a little bit about Bitcoin Core, I mean, if you're using, you can use, you can also use Bitcoin Core if you're running Bitcoin Core on the same computer you're running Spectre on or Sparrow, they both can connect to it. Um, if you do that process, you really should be using it on a dedicated computer. Uh, I know I like kind of touched on that earlier when I said, you know, if you're using it for playing games or social media, um, it could get compromised easier because you're using it for all these other general purposes. You're downloading software on it that maybe you haven't verified. You definitely haven't verified and have no idea what's really running there. Um, so if you are going to go that approach, uh, you should have a dedicated device. Uh, you should consider a dedicated computer or a dedicated phone that you are using with it. Um, and uh, yeah, in general, dedicated devices are are going to be more secure and more private. You're when we when we talk about security in Bitcoin land, where you don't don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Don't get overwhelmed because your setup's not perfect, but at the same time, you're just trying to reduce your threats so that you're not the lowest hanging fruit. Most of the time, when we see these hacks, it's targeted at at the people that are most vulnerable. Yeah, and the just to go back to the DIY approach that I was outlining. Um, all of these uh, different projects that we've spoken about have got really, really good documentation and, and quite vibrant uh, communities as well uh, on Twitter, Telegram, uh, or their own dedicated forum. 
Um, so don't be afraid to, you know, go and have a browse through the documentation. Like Matt said, it's not actually as scary as I might have made it sound. Um, and also, you know, go and ask some questions in the in the Telegram chat or in the Slack or whatever, you know, um, chat room that the 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 project has got. Um, you'll probably find, or you'll definitely find that. Um, all of these, the people that are in these communities are really welcoming. Uh, they, they've definitely been in your position before now. Um, and, you know, they, they found uh, the thought of this really scary a couple of years ago. And, you know, they might, now they might be running several DIY nodes. So don't be, don't be off put by it. 100%. Um, I will echo that sentiment. I would just add a slight caveat that there are scammers in these Telegram groups and these chat rooms. Um, they will often try and impersonate uh people that are involved with the project or other notable figures to try and get you feel comfortable never never give anybody uh your seed words those secret backup words never give them their secret backup words and you know always be skeptical if someone in one of those groups tries to dm you separately and tries to go into a private chat you know sometimes it, it is legit but you need to be extra cautious in that in that type of situation yeah, and, and and if somebody does, don't be afraid to ask in in the sort of main room. You know, tag the person who you think might have DM'd you and said, "Is that is this you uh, DMing me?" Exactly. Uh, but always uh, just act on the the on air on the side of caution um, and and keep that sort of adversarial mindset to think. You know, why is this person reaching out to me completely out of the blue after I've just asked my first question? Entering the room. Hundred percent. Um, so all those node projects support something called electrum server and electrum server is a standard um it's, it's a standard way to interact with your own node um, you can use those electrum server details and then you can put them into sparrow uh, you can put them into many of the mobile wallets uh, that we mentioned earlier you can put them into blue wallet um, with samurai specifically uh, they don't use Electrum Server. They use something called uh, Dojo. Um, and with that, pairing is as simple as there's a QR code, and you just scan the QR code with your Samurai wallet on your phone, and it'll pair up with your node. Yeah, the good thing is with Dojo as well is it's uh, implemented in the vast majority of the, the node packages now. There's, there's more that have Dojo that, than don't, which is uh, really great to see. Indeed. Should we hit on the coin join? Okay, so I, I just want, you know, we're we're an hour in. Um, if you're a newcomer, you just listen to this hour and you're intimidated as fuck. Uh, don't be intimidated. You know, start with step one where we talked about acquiring your Bitcoin. Um, then, you know, learn how to hold your own keys and slowly move through the process. Don't, you know, freak yourself out that, you know, now, now I got to run a node too. Like I'm now, I'm really intimidated. You know, step by step. Get your feet wet, get comfortable, send transactions, receive transactions, back up your wallet, restore your wallet. Just get comfortable with it. Get used to it. Don't. It's not something to be scared of. It's something that you learn by doing. Yeah, I uh, I put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago, actually, that kind of echoes that, that, you know, if uh, sending a transaction uh, makes you feel a little bit uneasy, then you haven't sent enough transactions. Um, you can see on screen there that the mempool is, uh, you know, it's a little bit busier than what it was, but a couple of sats per byte is going to get your transaction confirmed very quickly. And that's going to cost you, you know, less than a dollar to send a transaction. Oh, so we don't have we don't have that on the list. But before we move on to CoinJoin on-chain privacy, 
UTXO management, we should probably how does how does a newcomer choose what fee to pay? They open up their wallet, they go to send a transaction. Um, what like how do Bitcoin transaction fees work? I feel like that is something we tend to gloss over. Yeah, we overlooked that one. Um, well, fortunately, most of the the good mobile wallets, especially the ones that we've uh, mentioned uh, on tonight's stream, uh, will give you a couple of options uh, where you can. Um, you know, they'll either have uh, you know three options, sort of low priority, medium priority, and high priority. Like we, again, like we can see on screen, or there might be a slider where you can manually adjust the fee. Um, and essentially, the the higher that the fee you pay, the more likely that uh, your transaction is going to be uh, confirmed or processed quicker. Uh, again, couple, a caveat with that one, we've got a lot of caveats tonight, is that um, the uh, some of the estimation, the fee estimations, um, these wallets all use different sort of algorithms as to how they um, calculate or estimate the fee that would be required to get you confirmed in the uh, displayed priority. So Matt's got on screen here a really great um, website called mempool.space, um, which can it shows you, again, the, the priority uh, fee selections uh, or what it would advise um, based on, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but based on what's currently in the mempool um, as well as sort of historical data as well. So it's kind of a, a, a always a really good sort of accurate look at, you know, if you want to get uh, your transaction processed within the next block, uh, right now, it would take an estimate of 13 sats per byte. Um, but again, <laughs> there's another caveat here that there's still um, transactions with much lower transaction fees um, than 13 sats per byte that will also get uh, get confirmed. So it's kind of, um, it's not an exact science, uh, I will say that, um, right. but multiple sources is, is always a good one if you want to try and uh, get it sort of nailed. So, I mean, Bitcoin is a run by a company. Bitcoin is a distributed network. Um, and so as a result, how Bitcoin transactions work is we have this chain of transactions and the transactions are within blocks. We call them blocks. Um, roughly every 10 minutes, there'll be a new Bitcoin block and it will have finalized transactions included in that block. Until you get into a block, you sit in a waiting list. That waiting list is, we call that the mempool. We call it a mempool. Technically, every node has their own mempool. Um, but if your internet connection is solid, in most situations, those mempools should all look the same. So when you go to mempool.space, you're looking at their mempool. That will look very similar to if you looked at the same thing on your own node, which a lot of these node projects, by the way, allow you to run mempool.space natively with your own node. So the basically you have this like free market that's constantly going on where you're decide where people are choosing which fee they're willing to spend, and miners are going to usually include you in a block based on your order in that waiting list based on how much you want to spend so if it's a transaction between someone you trust um and you're willing to wait a longer period of time you can pay a lower fee if you're sending just to yourself you can pay the lowest fee we call it that's one sat per byte is the lowest fee because you're just sending it to yourself um you know if if in some crazy situation where a one sat per byte never gets confirmed ever which we've never been through you can always resend that transaction. 
So you're going to want to uh, choose your transaction fee based on the urgency you want that transaction finalized on the network. Um, and most good wallets will basically give you a low, medium, and high. You know, th this uh, low being I can wait, medium being like I'm in the middle ground because it's medium, and high being I don't want to wait. I want it finalized as soon as possible. Yeah, wow. and uh, it's it's a, a very much a dynamic thing. It's like a, a queue that's always evolving every single second because there's more and more transactions being sent, you know, every second, and um, it's not within you know outside the realms of possibility that what the fee that you put up right this second um, might not be enough to get you immediately uh, processed into the next block in, in sort of five minutes time. Um, so it's it's very very dynamic and you know that's why i said it's not sort of a, an exact science so generally speaking for most people the wallet estimators are pretty good especially if it's a, an urgent transaction that you need to be processed uh, immediately 100 i'm glad we covered that topic um also uh just to before we move on to the next topic just to jump back with hardware wallets uh you know the backup to that hardware wallet are those words you wrote down um you have the option of putting them into steel these steel plates are available many different vendors offer the steel plates and the idea there is if you put it into steel obviously it's going to be water resistant fire resistant it's going to be more sturdy than paper um you might also consider making duplicates of those seed words and having them in different places so like if your office burns down or your house burns down it's still in the other location with the caveat that it means it could be more likely that someone else finds it because it's in more locations. So you need to think about that very carefully. And then third of all, with hardware wallets, which I forgot to mention, one thing I like to tell new coiners is it's a good idea to have to buy two of whatever you decide to buy. Because if you have a second one, you can you can have the same backup words initialized on both devices. So then if something happens to your device, not only do you have the seed words available, those those secret backup words available to restore your device, you also have the second device that still has access to your funds. So you're not in a panic situation. Um, so I always, I, I tend to recommend to people that they should buy two of the same device, whichever they choose, um, so that they, they can have two initialized. And you can keep those in separate locations as well, if you want. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, good advice. So when you're opening up a Bitcoin wallet, it shows a balance. Um, a common misconception is that that you know you just it sh shows your Bitcoin balance. That's what's in your wallet. But in reality, what's in your wallet is basically a bunch of different Bitcoin transactions that all add up to that balance. Um, we call those UTXOs. Uh, those. Those are unspent transaction outputs, UTXOs is what we call them. You can think of them like bills in your wallet. Like maybe your wallet, you know, your, your cash wallet has $50 in it, but in reality, it has two 20s and a 10. And that's how Bitcoin wallets work. So you have all these small UTXOs in there that add up to your balance. And that has privacy implications because if, if, two of those UTXOs come together um, in a single transaction, they're obviously linked on this chain uh, forever. 
right? We call it the blockchain. It's this ledger of transactions. They'll be linked together because they were both spent in the same transaction. So that brings us to this idea of UTXO management and coin control. The idea of trying to manage those Bitcoin transactions in a privacy and cost-effective way. Should you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, and quick, I will start with the, the two wallets that we keep mentioning, Blue Wallet and Samurai, um, offer all the features that I'm just about to cover that sort of help when it when it comes to, to UTXO management. And Sparrow and Spectre. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I keep referring to mobile wallets, but yeah, the, the, all of the desktop, uh, the, the good desktop wallets that we've spoken about have all got UTXO management features as well. Um, so there's a couple of facets to it. The first one is the ability to uh, label the the UTXOs or the pieces of Bitcoin that you've got in your wallet. So what would be a, an example of a label might be that if Matt was to pay me for dinner uh, or pay me back for dinner, um, when I receive that transaction into my wallet, I could put a label on that to say that that's come from Matt and it was for dinner. Um, I could then uh, receive my wages from my employer um, and I could put the, the relevant label on that just to know that where the origin uh, of that UTXO is from. Um, so the once I've labeled them, uh, when I'm making future transactions uh, and I'm um, there's two ways you can make a transaction. You can let the wallet to construct it for you automatically, which um, they might choose any random UTXOs and merge them together. Again, like Matt said, to which will show common ownership. That might not be a problem. However, if you uh, want to preserve your privacy, and I might not want my employer to know that I'm friends with Matt because he's a bad person, um, because I've labeled those. I'm not uh, a bad person, though. <laughs> because I've theoretical. <laughs> because I've labeled those UTXOs when I receive them at the time. Um, in you know, two weeks down the line, when I'm coming to make a transaction, um, I can then you know consider um, the person that I'm paying. You know, do I want them to know that I know Matt, or do I want them to know that I work for the company that paid me uh, with this UTXO? I can make that informed decision then to say, well, actually, I'm just going to spend from one of those pieces of Bitcoin, or actually, it's not a bad thing. Matt's not really a bad person. I'm going to combine the two. Uh, because the value that I want to send, uh, I need to com combine the two. Um, so th those are the two two sort of main facets to it. Um, and but obviously, you can't um, make a, a an informed decision when you come to spend um, if you don't know the origins of all of the ETXOs that you've got. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand, really. Um, you need to yeah. label so that when you come to spend, you can make uh, the informed decision as to whether you should merge or not. Yeah, so a key aspect of Bitcoin is if someone sends you Bitcoin, they can see where that Bitcoin goes in the future. And if you receive Bitcoin, you can see where that Bitcoin came from in the past. So this is why labeling is important, because you want to know where that transaction came from or it goes to, because that's who you're exposing your privacy to in that situation. Is that a good yeah, distillation? Yeah, which, you know, um, might not be a problem for, you know, so the person that I'm paying might not um, be able to or be clever enough to, to, to use blockchain analysis. Um, but the other sort of um, adversary that we need to consider here is chain analysis firms that might be trying to um, 
cluster or monitor your on-chain activity, who you're spending to, who you're getting change back from, uh, to, to monitor your habits, to try and um, piece together um, you know, the, the identity because the, the blockchain uh, doesn't have any identities at the, at the blockchain layer. Um, but these companies work to kind of um, tie all the pieces together so that they can um, de-anonymize people. Um, so it's not just a case of, um, you know, hiding how much you earn from your friend. Uh, it's also, you know, these more sophisticated actors that have got more, a lot more resources to throw at this um, that you've also got to bear in mind as well, unfortunately. Yeah. You both, you both don't want, you don't want your employer to know what you're spending things on. And you don't want the guy who sells you a sandwich to know how much money you make. Um, but on top of that, we also have these professional surveillance mercenaries that work for governments, dictators, and companies. And they are just out there constantly trying to track Bitcoin transactions. So you also have that as a concern. Which leads us nicely onto CoinJoin, I think. If there's a, unless there's anything yeah. else you want to uh, touch on. No, let's, yep, we can talk about CoinJoin now. So CoinJoin um, is um, a uh, coordinated or collaborative transaction where uh, you and at least one other person uh, will um, collaborate to construct a transaction uh, that casts some doubt uh, as to the uh, origin and the output of the transaction to um to make sure that um am i still can you still hear me i can still hear you yes oh sorry i thought i dropped out yes yeah, so it, it's a coin join is a collaborative transaction where um the the idea is that the uh somebody watching the blockchain uh, again chain surveillance firm your employer your friend whoever they can't um deterministically or um, with good probability be able to track the people on the input side of the transaction to the output side of the transaction. So it effectively attempts to put up sort of um, a brick wall in your, you know, the the, the UTXO's um, history so that um, anybody looking on chain can't be sure 100%, um, you know, is there one person involved in this transaction? Is there ten people involved in this transaction? It right. just casts doubt on the 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 uh, path that the Bitcoin has taken, and and who sort of um, you know, has the Bitcoin changed hands? Hasn't it? We we're not really right. sure. So so tracking Bitcoin is a probability game. Um, these surveillance companies and their tools will basically, or just someone who's curious and trying to spy on you. Um, will basically assign a probability to every transaction if ownership has changed. Because one of the things about Bitcoin is, you know, we, I could send Bitcoin to myself or I could send it to Bitcoin Q&A and uh, the chain doesn't delineate between that. So a key aspect of tracking Bitcoin transactions is um, determining some kind of probability that Bitcoin actually changed hands. And then from there, trying to see which hands it went from, from who to who. Um, so CoinJoin is this idea of a collaborative transaction. And you can think of it like, um, just for an example, if you have five people that are doing a CoinJoin together, instead of uh, having a simple path that you're following on chain and deciding if ownership has changed, um, all of a sudden there's five different potential paths it could go down. Um, you don't know which of the five people that participated 
which of their five outputs are them. So it, it breaks that probability chain um, and it's a useful tool in terms of trying to rec you have forward privacy, have this idea of someone who sent you Bitcoin doesn't necessarily know which path your Bitcoin took going forward. Yeah, and specifically with um, implementations of CoinJoin like Whirlpool, which are known as equal output CoinJoins, um, the, the, the sort of notion is that everybody um, on the output side, all of the UTXOs on the output side of the transaction uh, look absolutely identical. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I always like to use the analogy of V for Vendetta where you've got the million mask march. Um, it's essentially the same thing, but on the blockchain where all of these UTXOs are indistinguishable from one another. Um, so like Matt said, you've got some forward privacy. And Very quick. And so I the th the three major coin join projects are Samurai Whirlpool, Join Market, and Wasabi. Um, Citadel Dispatch 15 was with the Wasabi team. Citadel Dispatch 16 was with the Join Market team. And Citadel Dispatch... I don't know where he is. I also did a Samurai one. Um, is Citadel Dispatch... It's there in your feed somewhere. You know, uh, Stefan can just rattle them off. He knows exactly which <laughs> one is which. Always amazes me that. Um, I don't know which one it is. I'll come back to it and tell you, but it's there's there's another Citadel Dispatch with the Samurai team. So if you're interested in this, uh, consider going back and listening to those three. Um, me and Bitcoin Q&A... Uh, like Samurai Whirlpool the best. You can also, you, you don't have to use Samurai Wallet with it. You can use Sparrow Wallet with it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, co-sign that. Samurai or Sparrow, hands down winners for me, um, especially from a from a beginner's perspective. Um, definitely the easiest ones to get started with, from, in my opinion. You can continue on. I'm trying to figure out which fucking dispatch. I'll, I'll cover off one quick question that's... Um, quite on topic um, somebody asked uh, what's the difference between um, coin join that we've just spoken about and a coin tumbler so the unfortunately the words uh, or the the meanings have been kind of um, whitewashed somewhat over the years but um, generally speaking a coin tumbler is um, a centralized service where you will have to send in your Bitcoin and give up uh, custody of it to whoever's running the tumbler um, and they will send you somebody else's Bitcoin back. Um, I absolutely wouldn't uh, recommend anybody use these uh, because you're putting yourself um, completely in the hands of whoever's running the Tumblr, um, that, you know, whether they're going to send you your Bitcoin back or not. Um, yeah. so, uh, and you also, so not only are you trusting them with your Bitcoin, if you use a custodial mixer, it's the same idea as, as custody, um, custodial risk with wallets. Um, you're also you're trusting them with your privacy and your funds. Um, so the key aspect of CoinJoin is is the idea that you are reducing trust in any kind of centralized third party. Um, Wasabi and Samurai have a centralized server that they do um, that they use to coordinate the coin joins to make them easier, better UX uh, and more reliable. Uh, those coordinators are blinded. Uh, with Samurai specifically, you can use it without your own node, and then you're trusting Samurai's node. 
So that goes back to our earlier conversation about using your own node. You should use your own node when you use Samurai. Um, otherwise, you are tr trusting them with your transaction and balance information, as as is the case with all Light wallets. Um, I found it so so. It's Citadel Dispatch fifteen is Wasabi. Citadel Dispatch sixteen is Join Market, and Citadel Dispatch thirty is Samurai. So consider listening to those. Okay, I think we're are we done on CoinJoin? Should we move on to the next topic? Um, I have multisig as the next topic, but should we do lightning real quick first? Sure thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's apt. Um, so a quick high level on what the, the lightning network is. Uh, it is a scaling solution for Bitcoin that um, allows you to um, transact with uh, actual real Bitcoin, um, but you don't do so with uh, what's known as an on-chain footprint. Um, so it allows you to sort of uh, lock up a small amount of, well, as much Bitcoin as you want onto this second layer solution known as the lightning network. So that you can, um, you essentially just defer the the overall settlement um, of any number of transactions from going on chain to to reduce fees and also to allow you to transact um, much quicker. So whereas uh, one on chain transaction, you know, might cost you a couple hundred sats depending on the fees, um, you you might be able to send you know ten or even a hundred uh, Lightning Network um, transactions for the same. Uh, for the same amount of fees. Um, now, there is uh, <laughs> unfortunately lots of caveats with the Lightning Network again in terms of being able to do it properly uh, with uh, the best way to do so will be with one of the uh, node packages that we've spoken about before, um, which will dictate that you need to um, manage your own sort of uh, your own channels, which is essentially where you lock up this Bitcoin to be able to, to transact on this second layer. Um, so it's uh, a little bit more of a hurdle to, to get on board with, um, but you you sort of can save yourself a fair bit on fees, especially if we ever see a fee spike again, um, which I think is inevitable. Um, the I don't know. If I've oh, done you a good do job think there, it's Matt. inevitable? Um, so <laughs> so first of all, there's been a lot of dispatches on Lightning. Uh, if you go through the feed. Um, consider listening to those there's like a lot of different caveats and nuances when using lightning uh specifically with privacy i did a full privacy episode uh with open knobs and anthony that's still dispatch 21 that's on lightning privacy uh so consider checking that out but the main differentiation that you as a new user should think about with lightning is going back to our transaction fee conversation earlier which is when you use a regular Bitcoin transaction, your transaction fee is not based on the amount you send. It can be kind of weird for you. Uh, it's, it's actually based on the amount of UTXOs that you use uh, for the transaction. It's based on the data size, not the amount of money that is sent. So you could end up sending a $5 transaction with Bitcoin on chain, a regular Bitcoin transaction, and it could cost the same as sending a $5 million transaction. Now with Lightning, it's different. The way fees are calculated on Lightning is based on the amount you're sending. So that'll be more comparable to something that you're used to in the traditional finance world, where if you send more money, you're going to pay a higher fee. You send less money, you're going to pay a lower fee. Now, uh, Moon Wallet with two U's, as we talked about earlier, Mobile Wallet supports Lightning. Um, and Blue Wallet supports Lightning. Now, if you use Blue Wallet in its default state with Lightning, it's going to be a custodial wallet, which I don't love. 
Uh, if you insist on using it, use it with a small amount because they can take your funds. You are trusting them with your privacy. Um, if uh, you can also use Blue Wallet with something called LND Hub, which some of these node projects offer. Uh, I think Umbral and my node offered. I don't know who else offers it, but if you use it with LND Hub or your friend's LND Hub, then it's not custodial with Blue Wallet. It's custodial with who's ever running the LND Hub. So if you run the LND Hub yourself, then it's not custodial. Um, other other Lightning specific wallets on mobile uh, that you can use. Uh, so Moon does both. Um, Blue Wallet does both. Uh, then there's lightning specific mobile wallets that are very good. Uh, there's Phoenix wallet. Uh, there's breeze wallet. Um, breeze B R E E Z continuing the Bitcoin naming scheme of using words and spelling them differently. <laughs> um, is there another lightning wallet that I'm missing? Lightning. You've got a Claire as well. Haven't you? Well, Claire is Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, that's is there. Said, yeah. Oh, that's right. Separate wallets. They have, why do they have two? Okay, but yeah, both of those are good. One, yeah, one allows you to manage your own channels and the other one does it for you. Okay, Phoenix does it for you. Yeah. Okay, so forget Eclair, your new corner. You have Phoenix and you have Breeze Wallet or you can use Moon or Blue Wallet. And that's, rather than for savings, you should think of that more as, okay, this is like my spending wallet. My transaction fees are based on the amount I send. I'm going to be sending smaller amounts um, so I, I might use lightning, right? Yeah, agree. I'm quite a big fan of Phoenix. Um, in, especially from a perspective of, you know, one that man a wallet that manages the channels for you. Um, I might get a lot of shit for this in the chat, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that most new users don't, shouldn't strive to dive headfirst into lightning with their own channels. Cause it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not approachable and everything that we've already discussed, um, in terms of holding your own keys, um, uh, using CoinJoin um, and not using KYC are far more important than uh, striving to get your own channels up and running um, quickly. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, Matt. And I'm, I'm waiting for the shit in the chat. No, I mean, I think I I I think um, Lightning on mobile uh, with the wallets we just mentioned: Moon, Blue, um, Breeze, Phoenix. For smaller spending amounts uh, is very accessible. Uh, actually, if if you if you if you actually want to do lightning in a proper sovereign way, um, that I would say is a more advanced thing. Don't get intimidated by it. But I it's I think it's important for our all encompassing getting started guide that we do mention it, ex it exists and what are the you know different trade-offs basically the trade-off there is a little bit you're getting less security uh you're getting less reliability with lightning um but you're getting lower fees faster transactions all else equal um and it could be yeah. very useful in the mobile spending type of situation yeah, agree. Um, Phoenix and Breeze really great ways to to get started with Lightning that have sort of their own unique um, trade offs uh, that kind of give the the best of both worlds from a from a new user perspective when you compare them with um, custodial solutions like uh, the default Blue Wallet or running your own channels. Uh, I and think that's they, one of the, they, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like Moon so much. Like Moon with two U's has like different trade offs. 
Um, it doesn't have a standardized backup process. Uh, it's, you know, if, if you're a lot of big corners will say it's, you know, not a lightning wallet, but at the end of the day, it's not a lightning wallet because you store all your funds on chain. You're not storing it in a proper lightning wallet. Um, but what's cool about moon is if you scan a QR code, it could be a lightning QR code, or it could be a regular Bitcoin QR code. And it just automatically figures that out for you. Um, and, and vice versa. Yeah. So, so you can just have, you can have some spending cash in your moon wallet, M U U N and whatever, whatever Bitcoin QR code you scan, it will send, but it doesn't have power user features. It doesn't have that coin selection that we were talking about with UTXO management. It doesn't have labeling. Um, it doesn't have a standard backup process. So these are all things to keep in mind. Right. Okay. Multisig. Multisig. Let's, let's go. Here's where we get into the weeds a little bit. Um, right. I've, so we've been in the weeds for a while, but <laughs> all of the uh, wallets that we've spoken about, um, the, the desktop mo wallets, mobile wallets, all operate um, on what uh, we colloquially call uh, a single SIG setup, where they have um, a single secret or backup, um, which is required when you want to spend your Bitcoin. Uh, a multi-sig wallet is where you combine two or more of these um, separate wallets together to create a brand new wallet. When you set up this multi-sig wallet, you can dictate uh, the minimum um, amount of keys required to be able to make a uh, to, to sign or authorize a send transaction. So that could be uh, two from a possible three keys is a popular one all the way up to something elaborate like 11 or 15, you know, which might be uh, used in sort of a, a business setting perhaps. Um, but two or three where you need two signers from a possible three that were created to, to, that were used to create the wallet to sign off on any transactions from that wallet. So why would you want to do that? Well, with a single SIG wallet, um, some of the three theoretical um, attack vectors if someone was to someone, somebody was to steal your device uh, and and um, while you know if they snatch your phone while it's out of your hand uh, and you've got your wallet unlocked, um, they can steal your Bitcoin. If that was one of the keys in a multi-sig wallet where you needed two to spend from, then they can't steal anything from you. Um, another one of the attacks that multi-sig protect from is known as a retirement attack, where there might be a malicious hardware wallet vendor that um, doesn't publish their source code um, and they um, have some uh, malware baked into into the, the into the device um, that is actually uh, has the ability to steal uh, your Bitcoin. I will say again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but that has never happened. Again, it's a theoretical attack. But if you were to use um, a, a multi-sig setup where you've got different hardware wallet manufacturers. If one of those is is malicious, um, they can't get access to your funds because they don't have, you know, if it's just one key out of two that are required, they don't have the uh, in, uh, the minimum uh, number of keys required to steal anything. Uh, right. So that's another so, aspect of it. So uh, all all the good all the good wallets, all the good hardware wallets are open source. So theoretically, open source means that the code is available for you to verify um, and you can read the code line by line. Now, if you're a new coiner, you're probably up to this point. You're already really intimidated. You're like, Matt, I can't read code. I'm aware. Okay. 
So at the end of the day, it is very good that you're able to technically verify the code, but most people will be updating their hardware wallets and they will not be verifying the code. So there is some trust that you are, you're trusting that hardware wallet manufacturer to not ship uh, malicious code to you. And you're also trusting them uh, that, that the actual device wasn't compromised when it was first sent to you, right? So with multisig, the idea is you can have multiple, but specifically in a hardware wallet, a hardware wallet multisig, the idea is you can have multiple vendors uh, that are multiple different hardware wallets that come together to form your wallet. And you need a combination of them, as Bitcoin Q&A was saying, a common one is two of three. You need two of them to spend the funds. Um, this reduces trust in any specific hardware wallet manufacturer. Um, you also have the added benefit uh, that those backup words, instead of those backup words being a um, one and done situation, if someone finds those secret backup words, we call them seed words. If someone finds those words, they have access to your funds. In a multi-sig setup, you have um, multiple sets of backup words and they have to find the required threshold of backup words in order to spend your funds. So if you're using a two of three, you're going to have three sets of backup words. You're going to have three hardware wallets. Those backup words obviously can be on steel, as we said earlier, um, and you can have them in different locations. So Bitcoin gives you, Bitcoin with multi-sig gives you this unique situation where you can have a geographically distributed uh, security setup where you're holding your own coin, but the 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 keys to access it can be located in different places they can be duplicated you can keep copies of them in different places and for someone to actually compromise you and take your funds they're going to need to have access to a combination of those secrets not just one secret we lost bitcoin q a about two minutes ago or a minute and a half ago and i'm just going to keep talking until he reconnects um so that is the main benefit of multisig. Um, do not, once again, do not get intimidated here. Uh, plenty of people store Bitcoin in single sig uh, setups. It is the normal way of setting it up. Um, this is something you might graduate to. Uh, multisig UX, multisig, um, I guess UX can be kind of a complicated word. Like the way you interface with the multi-sig wallet is a relatively new thing in Bitcoin. Um, so it, it has a little bit more of a learning curve. It is a little bit more rough around the edges. Uh, so you want to get really comfortable with it. As I said earlier, you want to be backing up, restoring, spending, receiving, getting comfortable with it separately of your single SIG setup. Now, one cool aspect of multi-sig is that you can actually have a single SIG wallet. Uh, so you can be using a hardware wallet that is single SIG, and then you can take that single SIG and you can actually also use it in a multi-SIG environment. And it can be one signer of, for instance, the two of three in the multi-SIG, but also it could also be a separate wallet. Um, and I guess the main advantage there um, 
I guess there's two main advantages there. First of all, if someone finds your single SIG backup, your, your secret words, uh, it might have some small amount of funds on it, and they think that's all your funds. They, they can't tell that it's in a multi-SIG setup. Um, so they might just take that funds and think they took all your Bitcoin. Um, the, the secondary benefit is that, you know, you can repurpose these, these hardware wallets and use them for multiple wallets. Now, one other caveat here is with multi-sig, you do want to back up additional information besides just your seed words. Um, Bitcoin Q&A came in and then left again. So I will continue. Um, the popular multi-sig software, uh, Sparrow, uh, Spectre supports it, Blue Wallet supports it. Um, they will tell you what you need to back up and make sure you save all that information. Now, that information, uh, that additional information that's not your seed words, um, they will have terms like derivation path, um, descriptor, the a list of something called XPubs. You don't necessarily have to know what all of that means. You just have to save it, and you just have to realize that while seed words are a security risk if someone gets your seed words that that information that separate information that you have to back up with a multi-sig wallet is a privacy risk so if someone finds that they can see how much you're holding in the multi-sig but they can't necessarily spend it but you need that information plus your backup words in order to uh to spend your funds bitcoin q a are you back i am apologies for that man i don't know what happened i think it's my network no worries at all. Um, I just continued on and I just kept talking about multi-sig. I need to be holding it down. Um, I, I get, I mean, I think we are, I, I think I sufficiently explained multi-sig trade-offs and, and benefits. Um, should we move on to mistakes, common mistakes? Yeah, did you cover sort of the alternatives to doing it yourself, the multi-sig approach? No, I didn't. That's a great. Why don't you go into that? Yeah, so obviously Matt's just outlined some of the, the potential pitfalls with doing it yourself. Um, so one of the other options is known as kind of uh, collaborative custody uh, alternatives where um, there will be a centralized service. Uh, some examples are Unchained Capital and uh, CASA. Um, where they will help you coordinate a multi-sig quorum um, where they hold one of the keys um, so that in the event that you were to, um, so I'll give you an example, you'd have a key on your mobile phone, you'd have a key on a hardware wallet um, and one of these uh, services will hold a key as well. So they only have one key so they can't steal from you which is great. Um, but if you were to lose say your phone what uh, key or the key on your hardware wallet and you didn't have it backed up, they will be able to step in uh, as a third party to help you move your Bitcoin so that in a doomsday scenario, um, you um, you don't lose your life savings, which is really great. You will pay for this service. Um, again, I'm not sure on how much each charge. The, the bottom tier, I think, is just over $100. Um, last time that I checked uh, per year. Um, one of the, the trade-offs with this is that um, unless you sign up uh, without your personal information, which I believe is quite difficult to do, um, the, these uh, centralized um, entities that hold the key and part of your multi-sig quorum, 
they know who you are they know how much bitcoin you hold in that wallet because they hold one of the keys and they also um hold the sort of uh the wallet file if you like to put it simply um so that they can just as a kyc exchange can um be able to tie you to your bitcoin identity so it's worth and, weighing up the trade-offs yeah and you're right? using their node so th the assumption is if you do this if you use one of these providers uh, you're trusting them with your privacy, but they will hold your hand and they will have a spare key for you as well. Um, and they will help you onboard into the process. They will help you get hardware wallets. They will go through that whole process, but you are trusting them with your privacy. They know your transactions. They know your balances. And in 99% of situations, they know who you are as well. Uh, they'll know the IP address of your of your devices that you connect from. This is all kind of getting a little bit too much into the weeds, but the key is that you're trusting them with your privacy. Um, I was explaining earlier, just basically doing it yourself so you could use your own node and you aren't trusting someone. In that situation, you can still have um, other people hold keys for you. So a Bitcoin Q&A started with a two of three setup because that's a very common setup, but another common setup is a three of five setup. And if you do a three of five setup, you have five total keys and you need three to spend. So if you need three to spend, you can hold three keys yourself so that you know you have, and you put them in different locations and you know you have enough to spend it yourself. But then you can also have you know, a, a family member, a friend, uh, a lawyer hold, hold a key. You can have different combinations of people hold a key. So it can be very useful in, um, specifically in in situations where you're trying like inheritance situations where you're if 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 you pass away you have large bitcoin savings uh you know maybe a lawyer is holding one in a trust maybe a couple family members are holding individual ones and they basically all need to collaborate together in order to spend your funds if you have three keys with other people um but you can also do it in a way where you don't you you don't they never have the threshold they need to compromise you plus combine together yeah, I think um, just one final thing before we move on to the next topic. Um, inheritance is a big one for me that um, I I sort of like to drive over people who, who seem to keep, seem keen to kind of jump into the DIY approaches that, you know, you might have spent some time listening to some podcasts, watching some uh, tutorials or reading some guides and feel comfortable in setting up a multi-sig um, uh, setup. Um, but what happens if you're not around tomorrow unexpectedly? Uh, is your spouse your next of kin are they going to be able to coordinate a spend from a two or three or a three or five do they know where to find the keys do they know how to recover it and if the answer is no to any of those questions then uh, all of your life savings disappears when you disappear so um something to bear in mind especially if you're going to take the, the diy approach 100 percent. i'd also add that there's a middle ground here uh, specifically supported by cold card called seed XOR. And basically in that situation, instead of having one seed, it's not multi-sig, but instead of having one seed, you have two seeds and you need both of them in order to spend your funds. Um, so it's a little bit different than multi-sig can be more accessible to people, uh, because you don't have these additional complications that we were just discussing with multi-sig. Um, but it gives you that benefit of not having a single seed uh, backup words uh, that can be compromised by someone. There's also something that's supported by pretty much every wallet out there called a passphrase. 
And in that situation, you have these backup words are usually 12 word phrases or 24 word phrases. The pass phrase is the 13th word or the 25th word, and you pick that yourself. So if you do that method, then you can keep the pass phrase separate from your backup words. If someone wants to compromise you, they need access to both. Um, and I mean, if it's a weak passphrase, they might just take your backup words and keep trying passphrases. Um, but it, it adds an additional um, burden on them to try and compromise you without going through a multi-sig setup. Um, another interesting thing about passphrases is you can store money on the bare backup words, and then you can when you use a passphrase, it's a separate wallet. So in that situation, you can actually keep funds on your your basic backup words. And then if someone finds that, they'll just steal those that money and they might not know you have a passphrase with the majority of your savings in it. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Awesome. Do you want to cover off uh, some, some common mistakes? I think that was next on the list. Yeah, I think common mistakes is a good spot to go next. Uh, so I've got quite a lengthy list here, and um, the, the first one of which, unfortunately, I uh, fell fell prey to a little bit, um, and that is uh, it comes back to our very first point earlier of KYC at uh, multiple exchanges um, without any real need to really. Um, so I've just uh, sort of exposed myself to you know put my name on loads of different databases, um, so it's an unfortunate one that you can't really undo like we spoke about before and um, if you um, were to you know listen to this podcast and decide that you um, still want to go for a KYC exchange because you think you're not up to the task of, of going uh, no KYC and try and limit your um, uh, your exposure to this by just signing up with one reputable exchange um, I think that's a good one to start. Um, Did you, the, the, uh, I think that's very good advice. Like if you are going to use a KYC service where you're providing your identity information, you should choose it carefully. You should choose someone you trust the most and you should not sign up for, a lot of people just sign up for a ton of different services. You should only, you should sign up for the bare minimum. Ideally, if you're going to do it, you sign up for one you use it solely just to buy Bitcoin and then send it to your own wallets, um, and and you don't you you don't use any other additional KYC services. You want to limit that as much as possible. Second thing is, did you change your mic setup at all? Because it's way worse now than it was before. I've changed. I changed my computer. Um, I'll have a play around while you're talking. I'll turn up. Is it just quiet? No, we can hear you, but it's just like breaking up a little bit. It's like cutting in and out. All right, I'll let, I'll have a play around. Um, another common mistake uh, that I see people make is, I I mean, gambling on shit coins. So a lot of people will think that um, Bitcoin is too expensive and I've missed the boat, and I, I'm too late to Bitcoin. Um, literally every single person who has entered Bitcoin at any time in Bitcoin history has thought they were too late. There's like a famous screenshot of someone on one of the Bitcoin forums uh, 
lamenting that they didn't get in at five cents and instead they got in at a dollar and they were too late and they missed the bus. Um, so everyone feels that way. Uh, you're not alone in that. It's important to realize that you can transact in smaller units of account. We call them sats. So you can, you don't have to have a full Bitcoin. You don't, you don't, you don't need like right now, Bitcoin's at almost $70,000. You don't need to put $70,000 in to use Bitcoin. Uh, sats are the smallest unit of Bitcoin. There's a hundred million of them per Bitcoin. And right now, sats, you can get 1500 for a dollar. So you can send any amount of sats you want to send. You can send $2 worth. You can send 25 cents worth. Um, it doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in, in, in thinking that Bitcoin is too expensive. Uh, what a common thing that these other coins will do is they make it so they have so many units that it seems like it's cheaper than it is just to try and get you in the door. It's a, it's a marketing tactic. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Q and a you there? Yeah. How's my mic now? Oh, so much better. I'm glad I brought it up. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Do you have more common mistakes? Uh, yeah. Common one um, is just not practicing um, enough with transacting, uh, testing my backups for my hardware wallets, um, testing different wallets, even using testnet. Just practice, 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 and getting comfortable uh, using the, the various tools that we've spoken about. Um, it, getting comfortable with it, either using testnet, which is basically uh, a copy, a carbon copy of Bitcoin that's has, that holds no value. You can get it for free um, on uh, websites called Faucets, where you can go on um, and just mimic the normal behavior of a wallet um, without the fear of um, losing any real value. Um, so you can send some testnet Bitcoin to, to your hardware wallet. Um, you can wipe it, recover it, um, just to get really, really comfortable with, with that process so that if um, the worst was to happen and you, something was to happen to your house uh, where you store your Bitcoin or wherever you store your Bitcoin, um, you're, when you're in that panic state, it's not like the first time that you touch your hardware wallet for, for five years because you, you know, you've done that you know, uh, periodical practice or you've practiced lots of time you send real value in there that it's second nature to you um, because you know if you're in a panic and you, you need to move your bitcoin quickly the last thing you want to be doing uh, is doing it sort of um, in a familiar uh, situation or in a familiar in a situation where you're not comfortable comfortable and, and, and familiar because that's when mistakes happen and you could uh, muck something up yeah so we see that happen a lot where you know people uh so i actually don't especially for newcomers, I don't know if you need to use testnet. Um, it adds just another complication to your process. Um, but, but what happens a lot is like people will buy Bitcoin, they'll send it to a hardware wallet. They never really uh, get comfortable with it. Then Bitcoin goes up in value significantly. And like four years later, they're trying to spend it and they're just not comfortable at all. So you really want to get comfortable with it. You want to practice sending, receiving, backing up and restoring. Um, and just, you know, I don't think testnet's necessary in that situation because you should just do it with the small amounts, you know, use, you know, send $5 back and forth, 
uh, erase the wallet, restore it from your backup, see that your $5 are still there. Um, one nice thing about my earlier approach that I mentioned, if having two of the same hardware wallet is without putting funds at risk at all, you can load up one hardware wallet with some Bitcoin and then you can restore it on your second hardware wallet. You can load up those secret words onto that hardware wallet. And if your funds are there and you can spend them, then you know you did the backup and restore process correctly without actually wiping the original wallet. So that's another benefit. You're basically verifying your backup and restore process. You don't want to be in the situation where you have a lot of money and you have a lot of money on the line and you've never done a backup. You've never, have you never done a restore process and you're just freaking out and maybe you wrote down the words wrong. I've had that happen to friends where we've had to guess the word that they, they, they wrote down wrong or wrote down in bad handwriting. Um, so you, you don't, you don't want to be in that situation. You want to practice, practice, practice. I think just to add to that, uh, backup process as well is that, <clears throat> Most of the um, or, or the, the hardware wallets that we've spoken about this evening have multiple different types of backups as well. So I think it's worth noting that practice using both of them as well. So we've, we've got the, the, the seed words. Um, both call card and passport also offer encrypted backups as well, where you can store a backup onto a micro SD card, um, which is uh, a little bit easier to store. Um, so I would urge people to practice restoring from both methods as well because at the end of the day if again if in a doomsday scenario you don't know which method of backup you're actually going to have access to or which has survived whatever um you know doomsday scenario uh, has actually happened 100 percent um before we move on to more common mistakes we have alex mccluskey in the chat asking about 401k ira funds um if you're trying to hold bitcoin in a, a in a in a tax beneficial way in your retirement account. Um, I would just keep this very simple. Uh, if you do have uh, a 401k or an IRA where you already have funds in it and you want to move them into Bitcoin, just consider using uh, the service offered by Unchained Capital. That's unchained.com. Disclosure, they are a sponsor of, of my other show, Rabbit Hole Recap. This show does not have sponsors, um, but they're a sponsor because they're a good team. It's a good product. Um, I have friends there that are working there. My buddy, uh, Jeff Andrew, runs their their retirement division, and they will hold your hand. They will help you through it. Obviously, as we said earlier, the caveat is you're trusting them with your privacy. Um, but pretty much in all situations with retirement funds, if you're using a tax-beneficial retirement uh, method, you're going to have to trust someone because it's all getting reported to the government as well. Um, the nice thing about what Unchained does is you hold your own keys. So you get that tax benefit, um, but you're holding your own keys. They can't spend your funds. Uh, a lot of the other programs that are out there um, can can spend your funds at will, and you have to trust them completely with the security of your funds and your privacy. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, the next one um, from me is kind of a little bit more outside of the box. Um I lurked around on on Bitcoin Twitter and in some of the communities uh, for a lot longer than I really should have. Um, when I started to uh, interact with with people in the you know wallet chat rooms or the no chat rooms, um, to use a few examples, 
my knowledge grew exponentially from then onwards from having those interactions versus me just sitting on the sidelines and kind of you know liking a few tweets every now and then so if i was to go back and kind of have my time again i would absolutely start getting involved and start contributing um to the conversation much much earlier because uh personally speaking anyway my my knowledge just uh you know skyrocketed compared to where i was just a couple of years ago um so big one for me that one yeah that's uh and uh i just i think like learn by doing right practice with small amounts um and get your feet wet rather than feel intimidated and feel like you have to read everything and listen to everything and watch everything uh before you even get your feet wet Another one as well is, and, and Matt might uh, roll his eyes at this one, is is kind of going public. Um, the, there's a lot of value in in um, staying in the proverbial shadow, so to speak. Um, I would urge people, you know, not to uh, sort of start shouting from the rooftops uh, that they own Bitcoin again, because, you know, we talked earlier about KYC and how it kind of uh, can paint a, a sort of a red cross on your back a little bit. Well, shouting from the rooftops, tops um when bitcoin hits an all-time high to all your friends um might uh, inadvertently do the same thing one day um you know you yeah 100 a little bit jealous you never know who's going to get jealous and tell somebody else you tell somebody else who's um an individual that might want to try and get their hands on it so um i would be be candid about who you who you speak to bitcoin about um it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword that one because uh I think we've all got a, a little bit of a personal responsibility to try and help on on board others as well. So, um, as I say, just kind of be selective uh, about who you speak to it and, and what you say. Yeah, it is. Um, it might sound a little hypocritical coming from me um, as a as as a as a public Bitcoin figure, um, but definitely in the beginning, you should not. You should you should not be talking. You should try and reduce how much you talk about Bitcoin. Don't make it obvious that you own Bitcoin. Don't post on social media. Uh, consider using a name like Bitcoin Q and A does. I mean, it might surprise you, but he wasn't born with that name. Uh, he decided on that name himself uh, for the internet for his Bitcoin work. Um, in the future, if you do want to become more public about it, uh, you can do so in a more responsible way. Um, rather than doing it right in the beginning. You can never come back from it once you do it. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. You should never talk about your own Bitcoin. You should never talk about your own how much Bitcoin you have. Um, these are best practices. Uh, you don't, you don't uh, even if it's a friend or a family member, it might seem like small amount today, but in the future, uh, it could be a large amount and they will not forget it. They tend to remember. One of the first questions most friends and family will ask you is how much Bitcoin you own. They love asking that question. Do not answer it. Explain why you don't want to answer it for them. Um, if people do know you own Bitcoin, this is where that multi-sig setup really shines because you can have it geographically distributed. You can have your keys in different locations um, that are far away from each other that make you getting compromised more difficult, even in a physical attack situation. And obviously, it is more ideal to live in a place where you have um, proper gun rights and you can defend yourself. Um, so these are things to consider. 
Um, if I was to do it again, I probably would not be, uh, you know, as public as I am about Bitcoin. Um, I made a judgment call later on in my Bitcoin journey that I felt we needed more public Bitcoin figures that were talking about real issues and specifically privacy. Um, so I made that judgment call, but there are some mornings that I wake up and regret it. Um, but there are precautions you can take and there are benefits though to being semi-public about your Bitcoin usage, uh, meeting people. I've met some of the best people you know, I, I have, I have basically, I have family now that wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, but these are all things that you should consider um, as part of your Bitcoin journey. But in the beginning, very, very, very strongly would say, you know, keep keep it as discreet as possible. Um, you never know, you know, you you don't want to expose yourself to a malicious actor. Your government could turn on Bitcoin. A foreign government can use that information against you uh, if you're traveling across a border or something like that. So you you want to keep this in mind. Yeah, the final um, sign-off one for me um, would be uh, uh, just completely got out of my brain. <laughs> uh, what was another one? Uh, two FAs, another one, a good one to touch on, I think. Um, yes. Would be... Um, if if you and it's just come back into me now, so I've got two to finish off. Um, if you again listen to this podcast, decide that no KYC is not for you, and you want to sign up for an exchange, um, a lot of these exchanges will prompt you to use uh, SMS based two factor authentication to. Um, I'm using air quotes here to secure your account. Um, this is where you'll get a, a text message to when you try and log into the to the exchange. They'll send you a text message to authorize that login. Um, there have been multiple um, uh, instances where this has been um, exploited. Uh, people have had their information and their accounts hacked on these exchanges, um, which if you unfortunately have got funds on that account, um, can be withdrawn to whoever's uh, got access to your account. They can withdraw it to their own wallet. Um, a better alternative uh, would be to use uh, an app-based uh, two-factor authentication. So an example would be um, uh, there's one called AndOTP. Uh, there's one called Aegis. Uh, there's another one called, um, help me out here, Matt. I've drawn a blank. Um, uh, did you uh, say Aegis? Yeah, I said Aegis, yeah. Aegis is Any my favorite. Any app-based one, uh, far more secure, uh, and there's been far f well. Aegis no, is no open extra. source. Aegis is open source. Yep. Uh, that's A E G I S, and the backup process is very easy. You got to remember when you when you use these authenticator apps, um, if your phone dies, you, you want to make sure you have a backup of them. So yeah. the most popular well, one is Google Authenticator, and it's not last. I mean, I haven't used it in maybe six years or something like that. But previously it wasn't easy to back up. So make sure you're using one that is easy to back up um, and back it up and keep multiple copies. Yeah, or the other alternative is you can get um, like a physical device that acts as your the second factor authentication looks like a bit of a USB key that provides the, the uh, additional authorization, uh, but less services tend to um, uh, offer compatibility with those. 
Um, I, I would say, I think for most people, the physical device is overkill. Um, can a sophisticated attacker compromise a phone base two factor? Uh, yes. Um, have we seen any widespread cases of that? No. Do they still need your email and your password? Yes. Um, on that note, you shouldn't be using the same emails and the same passwords in different places. Um, if you go to haveibeenpwned.com, you can put your email address in and it'll tell you whenever a database gets leaked with your email or your password or your personal information. Um, so that's a very important resource. But but what we see a lot of times is like there'll be like a leak, like maybe Facebook will get hacked and those emails and passwords will then be used at all the other services to try and get into your account. Um, so that two-factor code gives you an additional protection on top of that, but you really should um, be trying to limit reuse of email addresses and never reuse passwords. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's one in the chat. Scooby Snacks is asking, is a password manager a good idea? Yes, definitely. Would recommend it to anybody. My personal favorite is, um, is Bitwarden. Uh, again, another free and open source uh, software. They do offer a paid version as well, but the the freemium uh, option is perf is perfectly good enough for for ninety nine percent of users, I would say. Yeah, Bitwarden's great. Um, you just gotta if you're using a password manager, um, there's some nuance there because if you're not self hosting your password manager, you're you're using a I, what's the main one? LastPass. People love LastPass. Um, it's closed source. You're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. Uh, so there's some concern there. You know, if you if you have all your passwords in this password manager, and that password manager gets compromised, then all of your accounts are compromised. Um, what I think is like a very uh, easy, accessible thing for um new users or people that are concerned is is your really important passwords you can just write them in a notebook you write them in a notebook someone's going to need to get access to that notebook physically in order to compromise you um you might not want to write it out completely clear you know maybe some things you remember versus some things are on the paper um you can develop your own like kind of code system don't overcomplicate it you'll probably forget the password um but uh, paper and pen, paper and pen is a tried and true method. Yeah, absolutely. And then just but the, don't put it on a post-it note on like your computer either. <laughs> the uh, the the final one that went out of my head before um, was we've spoken about uh, you know there's a lot of information in the past couple of hours. Um, don't try and uh, do everything in the space of a week, uh, especially if you are literally at step one. Um, I would sort of pick one of these topics. You know, we spoke about them in a in a um, in a specific order for a reason. Um, I would urge people to sort of start from step one and try and master each step before they move to the next, before they move on, or at least not try to do too many of them at the same time. Yeah, depending on the approach, depending on the the approach that you take for the different tools that we've we've spoken. Uh, you know, to do it properly and to do it justice and to understand it and practice it like we've been like we've been sort of uh, reiterating is going to take you, you know, 
um, a good bit of time. You're going to have to de dedicate some time to do this and to master some of these tools. So trying to do too much too soon uh, is setting yourself up to, to fail. So take your time, uh, be be um, deliberate about it and, and sort of master something, then move on. Yeah, and our, I, that's great advice. And I, as Bitcoin Q&A said, our order in this episode was intentional. So don't feel like you have to go through all the steps at once, but go through... That order was how we, we 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 chose that order specifically because we think it's a very um, efficient, effective uh, managing trade-offs and stuff balance of what order you should kind of be coming into this. Um, we also have some person in the chat um, who uses the name some person. So every time I call him out in the chat, I sound like I just don't care about his name, uh, asking for the best uh, two-factor app for ios i really like authenticator plus uh for ios users um i think it's available on android as well but if you're on android i really just like aegis um so yeah there there you go for that answer um i have on this list bitcoin q a i have common questions do you have common questions that you have in mind or um i've got nothing noted down but kind of um off the top of my head um a common one that i get is sort of uh is um is this setup good for me or is this wallet the one i should use uh you know insert service or or tool here you know is this good um it's the thing with bitcoin and and using the tools properly that we've been speaking about is that what matter i might recommend from our own personal experiences might not be perfectly applicable to your own personal uh, threat metal threat models or skill set um so again we we have kind of covered this ground a little bit earlier but is um just try things out um you know by all i'm not saying don't come to, to people like matt or myself and ask for advice you know we're always um more than happy to to, to help out um but the the best thing to do is to sort of Get your hands dirty and try these tools you know you can do it for for free or for very low fees at the moment and um, just testing out wallets or or different devices uh, or multi-sig setups if you want to go that far coin join implementations um best thing to do is get your hands dirty get in, get amongst the communities and you know what's perfect for one person might not be perfect for another so um uh, it's a bit of a uh DYOR, do your own research and get comfortable with what's um, going to work for you, really. 100%. Um, just to reiterate, um, Bitcoin Q&A has all of his guides at bitcoiner.guide. Um, I have a list of resources and tools at citadeldispatch.com slash help. Um, at the top of citadeldispatch.com slash help, I have also I have links to both Bitcoin Q&A, um, myself, and our buddy Katan from Australia, who runs Ministry of Nodes, offers uh, we offer private one-on-ones. And there's links to all of that at the top of citadeldispatch.com slash help. Um, so if you do feel that you you have the need for a one-on-one, -on -one, a specific time to jump on a call, um, that is available to you as well. I highly recommend both Bitcoin Q&A and, and Katan uh, for that. And that's why they are at the top of that page. Um, I think, uh, Narwhal Tacos has an interesting point. I, I kind of touched on it, but I felt like it was a little bit too early in the episode, so I didn't go heavy into it. Um, 
he's asking, have you explained that no one actually holds their sats in a wallet, just the key? It took me a while to wrap my head around that. Um, that is absolutely correct. Um, you're not actually storing your Bitcoin. You're storing the key that allows you to access and spend your Bitcoin. Um, so when we talk about all these wallets, when we talk about hardware wallets and mobile wallets, it's really uh, either a piece of software, a piece of hardware that is that is storing that secret key for you and allowing you to easily access that so you can access your Bitcoin. Um, I think that's an important point, but I, I do, I would say that that's almost more of a, I don't know, I, I feel like it's more of an advanced thing for all intents and purposes. You can kind of operate under the assumption that you're holding your Bitcoin in the wallet, but um, it is a good, it is a good point. Thank you, Narwhal Tacos. Um, I think with all that said, it doesn't seem like we have uh, any any additional questions in the live chat? I would add that obviously this is Citadel Dispatch forty three. There's been forty two other episodes filled with content. Um, that's a lot more advanced than this. So if you want to dive into that after listening to this, um, obviously feel free to do that. It's all available for free without ads or sponsors. Um, Q and A. You have any any additional thoughts here before we wrap up? I uh, just want to reiterate, just get amongst the communities, use the tools, get your hands dirty. Don't be afraid to try things out. Um, come to myself or Matt for, for any help and advice. Um, and just one other, you know, we've, we've mentioned Catan. Um, one of the prominent educator in the space is uh, BTC Sessions. We've got a fantastic YouTube page that's got guide, video guides on using literally everything to do with Bitcoin. So um, if you're more of a visual learner, uh, check out his YouTube channel. It's a fantastic resource as well. 100%. That is also linked at sildispatch.com slash help, or you can just search BTC Sessions on YouTube. Um, I made him a channel on bitcointv.com. I don't think he has uploaded anything there, but there's also a ton of great content at bitcointv.com that is curated. One of the issues and the pitfalls you should keep in mind when you're on YouTube, um, especially the high view count videos are filled with scams and bad advice um so you need to be very careful um you know if you're watching a bt sessions video it might recommend another video that looks like it's reputable and that a lot of people have watched and recommended it um you need to be very careful uh at the end of the day bitcoin's about personal responsibility um so no one's going to be there if, if you lose your bitcoin there's no getting it back uh, and there's just a, there's a lot of money to be made giving bad advice and showing bad product. Uh, so you really, really need to be skeptical all the time. Think for yourself, make your own decisions and constantly keep learning. And I want to be very clear here that I'm not asking you to trust me either or Bitcoin Q&A or Catan or anything else we've mentioned in, these video, in this video or any of the other Citadel Dispatch episodes. You need to constantly figure out things for yourself and make your own judgment calls. If anyone's asking you to trust them, um, be very, very careful and just be very careful in general. Um, BTC Pins wants everyone, all the newcomers to know that they could buy they could buy merch from him at btcpins.com. So there you go, BTC Pins. I love you, bro. Uh, Q&A, you got any final thoughts before we wrap it up or are we good? No, I think it was a great episode and, and one I'll be bookmarking on, on my homepage as well. Um, just want to say thanks for having me back on and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you, dude. I appreciate you. Everyone can follow Bitcoin Q&A on Twitter. Uh, 
it's it's Bitcoin Q under dash A. Um, I hope to have you back on again. Thank you for coming on. Um, I appreciate you tremendously. And thank you to all the ride or die freaks that joined us in the live chat and joined us and, and continue to support the show and keep it ad free and sponsor free. I really do appreciate you. And uh, cheers to you all. Thank you, Bitcoin Q&A. Thanks, Matt. Last night I let the party get the best of me Waking up in the morning, two hoes laying next to me Plus I heard an officer arresting me Good weed and cold drinks, that's the motherfucking recipe Nigga, and we roll deep, deep, so deep, deep It's going down in this bitch, concrete We gon' party all night No sleep, tell the owner, them is all my guys So tonight, everything is on me The drinks is on me The bitches, the hotel, the weed is all free Get high, me so high, we don't see the whole suite Then fly to a level where you gon' need your own key Cause everything is on me The drinks is on me The bitches, the hotel, the weed is all free Get high, me so high, we see the whole street We fly, me so fly, we need a whole wing Love you, freaks. Thanks for joining for another Seal Dispatch. Uh, I'll be with you on Thursday for Rabbit Hole Recap. 
Um, and next Tuesday for another Bitcoin Tuesday, we'll be doing Citadel Dispatch uh, with Raw Avocado and Waxwing jumping back into technical things. Um, I hope you appreciate this episode. To all the new freaks, welcome. Um, I hope you enjoy all the content going forward and welcome to Bitcoin. Uh, to all the old freaks, um, I got in trouble for my Bitcoin 2021 uh, code because I don't take a cut, so it's higher than everyone else. So if you want to join us at a Bitcoin 2022, if you want to join us at Bitcoin 2022, April 6th to 9th in Miami, it's going to be the biggest Bitcoin only event. Um, you can use code open source for 21% off, but do not share it on Twitter. Otherwise, I'm gonna they're going to remove my code. So cheers to that, and I'll see you on Thursday. Love you all. Stay humble. Stack sets.